All right. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Why don't you go ahead and grab a seat and we'll get started here. Good morning. All right. Well, I just want to welcome you guys again to the firehouse. Thanks for joining us. If you're new with us, I just hope you sit back, relax, enjoy the, the time here. Um, let me see. Any other announcements? I do hope if you haven't signed up to volunteer for the race, the 5K race, that you would, or if you if you still want to run it, I uh, signed up here. I think it was yesterday, so now so that I could say I'm signed up. So if you do sign up, try to stay out of the the 40 40 and older age group or something like that. I'm trying to trying to do better this year in that category, but uh, still trying to catch the guy from last year. The one that won our division was he ran it about 21 21 minutes, which is pretty fast, but he was pretty in the stroller and it was uphill and I'm just hoping he doesn't come back. So, but anyways, I'm going to go ahead and pray here and we'll jump into what we're going to talk about this morning. So if you guys will, let's just bow our heads and pray one more time. Lord Jesus, we do just thank you for this morning. It is awesome just to come together. It is awesome to worship you. It is awesome to realize that you are the lamb who was slain, that you were, you existed before uh, before the creation, you existed from eternity past. And you are, you exist now, and you will be forever, Lord. We just thank you, we praise you. Um, we look to you this morning, God. I pray that as we spend some time this month just trying to be better equipped at uh, sharing our faith and engaging people with the gospel of eternal life, that you would help us in that. Help us uh, in that end this morning. That we, we just look to you, I pray your, your word would speak to us. It would affect our hearts, our minds, our wills, our action. Lord, I pray that it would change us. If we just ask for that help this morning, that grace this morning, we just pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Alright, we are going to talk a little this morning, uh, some more about fishing as we look to get more equipped in sharing our faith and evangelism. In some ways, uh, we're going to spend the month of August just trying to help equip everyone to have maybe a better tackle box on hand than you've had before um, with a few more lures and baits and odds and ends for, for more effective fishing. But before we get to fishing, I thought I'd share a few animal stories with you here that uh, have happened in the last 24 hours. We've got some, uh, boy, I don't know. Um, last night we were here at the building getting ready for a prayer meeting and, you know, the, the rain was coming down pretty hard and one of the doors was propped open and this creature darted through the door and it was a raccoon and it darted for the cafe kitchen and so you know I was like wow, you know wow and then I told Ned Ned there's a raccoon in your kitchen man and so uh, he, uh, he and Zach started getting after that thing and uh, before you know it, um, it was still there, and it was it had a, was up on a shelf higher than it was before. And Zach had a push broom; he was trying to get at it. And I went in to look, and those raccoons they have bigger claws than they they show you on TV, don't they? This is, uh, but anyways, it was, it was it was fun to watch. Eventually, uh, between the, Ned was holding the box out, maybe trying to catch it, and Zach knocked it off the shelf. And one, two words came to mind when I saw this whole thing. You might you might think the same two words, but 
Turtle Man. Turtle Man. Have you guys ever... You know Turtle Man at all? I don't know. It's a, it's a show on Animal Planet, The Call of the Wild Man, but his name is Turtle Man. And he helps, he helps people get rid of things like raccoons and skunks and snakes and turtles. If you have a turtle in your pond you don't want, a snapping turtle, he'll help you out. But um, it's, a, it's a very fun show. We watch it sometimes with my kids. Um, and he's got his call at the end. Anytime he does something successful, you guys know the call? He does that. My whole family does that sitting around the couch, except for my wife. She doesn't participate in it. So, um, but anyway, so I was thinking, you know, and the turtle man, he's this guy. He's got very few teeth left. He's got quite an interesting vocabulary. And then he's got this buddy that always tags along with him and helps out. And I just saw Zach and Ned, and I just thought, wow, we gotta, we got to get this on video or something. But eventually, we got the turtle out, uh, the turtle out, the raccoon out. But I went home this morning, I was thinking about, yeah, I'm going to share that story at church. I'm sitting on my dining room, uh, reading my Bible this morning, and uh, I'm looking out the window in my front yard, and, and this creature wanders up onto my patio, and it's not a raccoon, um, it's a skunk. So this skunk kind of wanders up on my patio, and he's walking around waddling, and it's not probably an adult one, it's, it's a cute little thing, but uh, I thought, you know, I should scare it off, and then I thought, no, don't scare a skunk, you know, that's... I don't know much about animals, so that doesn't sound like a good idea. Um, so anyway, it waddled off later, and I'm like, okay, this is, you know, Turtle Man. Is, uh, I, I, I like this. Um, I don't have to figure out how to do our own. I try to tell my wife, I'll be Turtle Man, you'll be Turtle Woman. And she's like, no, I will have nothing to do with that. <laughs> so, but anyway, so I come back, I'm reading a little more. I look across out the front porch again, and there's a, a creature in the neighbor's yard there. And I look at it, and uh, it was a coyote. So it was a nice coyote. I thought we've heard them yipping and howling lately. It was coyote. And so I got out there and was going to try to scare it off and, you know, made some noise and it took off. And then I went back and got some more coffee. Came back to sit down again and the coyote had come back into our front yard and he was walked past our van, kind of looked in our front door, sniffing around the garage there. Uh, and I think he was looking for our chickens is what I'm thinking. So I think he's uh, going to watch out for that guy. But um, eventually I had to go scare him off. And it's just been one of those days of turtle man is what I think. But it's been, it's been fun. I need to get a video camera, record some of this and, you know, see what happens, see, see if we can get a, a night job going there with um, animal stuff, and work out some with animal planets. But um, we're going to talk about fishing this morning. I actually do have a little more experience with fishing. Um, you know, we're going to just look at some ways maybe you and I can grow and be better fishermen. We're going to look at seven tips for highly effective fishing. That's probably what you hoped you were going to hear this morning. But um, do I have a clicker here or is someone going to click for me? I'll pretend like I'm clicking. There we go. All right. Excellent. So, um, you know, we've talked about this probably a month ago. Um, I used the same verse, but for some reason, Jesus, in, in all of his communicating to his disciples and his training them, he, he could have chosen a number of different paradigms to communicate this idea of getting the gospel out and uh, speaking to the hearts of men and making disciples. And for some reason, he chose the paradigm of fishing. And he told, told them... Uh, Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. At another place, he said, From now on, you will be catching men and women, he told um, the Apostle Peter. And so, we're going to look at some of that paradigm this morning, what we can learn from that, and uh, how that applies to maybe being better equipped to do what we've been called to do and getting the good news out and making disciples here. And so, um, this first point here, um, you know, this first one is really a review. And I just want to say um, this verse here, that we, uh, Matthew 4.19, it really has two parts. One is a command. And Jesus said when he was calling someone, he said, come, come follow me. 
And uh, that's a command we are called to follow Jesus. Now, following Jesus today has to do with everything we talked about last month. Um, last month we talked about uh, the Holy Spirit and being led by the Spirit, being empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so to, to follow Jesus today is really to be led by His Spirit, to be sensitive to His Spirit uh, and empowered by His Spirit. And I encourage you, if you didn't get a chance to catch some of the teachings from last month, you know, get online and under, I think it's under special features, teachings, you can pull them up and there's some ones that... Um, you know, I think that last month was Tim and Dennis and myself, and I encourage you to, to check those out if you didn't get a chance. Really, um, relates to this point of following Jesus through being led and sen- being sensitive to and empowered by His Holy Spirit. So that's just check that out if you haven't. Um, part two here, the, the second kind of tip related to this verse is really the one that's a promise, and Jesus says. Um, you know, come follow me and I will show you how to fish for the souls of men. There's a command, hey, I want you to follow you. Follow me. If you're my disciple, I want you to follow me. But by the way, if you do follow me, I'm going to teach you. I'm going to change you. I'm going to show you how to fish for souls of men and women. And so there's a promise that he will teach you. And so um, I hope you got your handouts, fill out some blanks here. But when it comes to being taught how to fish for the souls of men and women, I, I've got a question for you. Um, How teachable are you lately? How teachable are you currently? Because Jesus is looking to teach people and show them how to be fishers of the souls of men and women. A couple verses I think have related to that. There's a verse in Ecclesiastes that says this. Ecclesiastes 4.13 A poor yet wise lad is better than an old foolish king who no longer knows how to receive instruction. A poor yet wise lad is better than an old foolish king who no longer knows how to receive instruction. When it comes to being teachable, Jesus is trying to teach you and I how to fish for the souls of men. How teachable is your heart? How soft and and pliable is your heart? Or are you kind of set in your ways, set in your convictions, set in your tools? Because if you are, learning from Jesus to fish for the souls of men is probably not going to work out that well. It's probably not going to be that effective. And you don't have to be old to be set in your ways. Young people can be set in their ways before, you know, getting wisdom and experience under their belt. And so that, you know, you might say, oh, I'm not old. I still, well, oftentimes you said, there's a pride there that says, hey, I don't want you telling me what to do. But if you want to grow in this arena, I just, I want to ask you, how how teachable are you? Because I believe the Lord wants to teach each one of us and help us to be more effective at reaching men and women here. And so, um, uh, you know, Jesus said also at one point to his disciples that take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart and you'll find rest from your souls. We need to learn. He's teaching us. The question really is going to come down to is are we learning? And when it comes to fishing, I don't know if you've ever, how many of you ever have fished before, learned to fish, know how to fish, fishing experts, some of that stuff, I don't know about that. But when it comes to learning how to fish, I, uh, that's an interesting process. I remember back with my dad, my dad's a, I would call him a great fisherman maybe, um, but I remember back in the days when he was teaching me how to fish. And uh, boy, if you've ever tried to teach a kid how to fish or if you were a kid like me, Somehow you go and it's exciting, it sounds really cool and you get there and there's just too many rules, you know. And most kids, I think naturally, they go fishing, it sounds great for a bit, but what's the next thing they want to do after trying to fish? Just throw rocks, right? It's, you want to throw rocks and throwing rocks and fishing, they don't work out too well and, and you'll get some feedback if someone's trying to teach you how to fish and that's what you tend towards. Um, but anyways, I just remember my dad trying to teach me. And it's a, 
you know, fishing again is a, a relational thing. Jesus wants to teach you how to fish, but He wants to have relationship with you along the way, and He wants to show you some things and, and reveal things to you and show you eternal truths and things that are more important and significant that we might than we might otherwise think. But um, I remember when it came to evangelism the first time. I I didn't become a Christian until I was going on almost 25 years old, and then uh, I remembered after that just thinking, "Wow, this this good news, this this message is so good. I got to go tell people." And I had an opportunity to be a part of a campus ministry that was just starting at Colorado State. There was a few single people and a few students there, and I remember going out with my small group leader, who was also a pastor at the time. He's like, "I'm going to take you, and we're going to go share the gospel on campus." And he had this survey, and you know, you read. This survey, and then you start telling the gospel, and you know I remember going with it. At first, I was excited, a little scared, but we jumped in, and next thing you know, I was just kind of doing my own thing, asking my own questions. I was kind of—I thought it was going great, and he eventually pulled me aside and was like, um, "Have you ever done this before?" You know, I was like, "No, well, no, not really." Um, and have you ever seen anyone receive Christ in their life through doing this? And, and he asked me a number of questions that the answer was no, no, never, no, no. Um, and eventually, he's like. Um, I'm here, I want to teach you how to do this. I want to teach you how to be effective at this. And you kind of are, are thinking you know how to do this already. And, and it was just a real, I felt like the Lord just touched me very gently. And I knew, you know what, I, I need to be in the position of learning. This guy knows a lot about it. He's been successful. I have never been successful at it. And so I just, I had a change of posture. I put myself in a, a learning position for it. And I've been in a learning position for a while now and even recently I feel like God's been teaching me some things about better evangelism more effective evangelism I've been crossing paths with some other pastors that are throwing out ideas on how to be effective with the gospel and how to be proactive and got a book uh, that I just glanced at here recently from uh, another pastor in our region here some of you know uh, Steve Nelson down in El Paso he put a book together called Chicken Ev- The Chicken Evangelist. And, uh, you know, we might circulate that around as well, but he's got some great ideas about how, how if you feel like you are a chicken at evangelism, it's not your forte, you're not a people person, you know, this is the book for you. And But, but I hope that you will be in, in having that teachable spirit yourself as we go. The Lord wants to teach us all, and He, he wants to use people that have been um, walking in step with the Spirit, maybe longer than us, to, to help us be more effective at this. And so that's, that's a tip just... He'll teach you if you let him. Um, let's look at the next uh, next point here. Um, next thing we want to talk about is just that fishing takes initiative. You know, uh, you, so we got to go fish. We've talked about this a little while back, but Jesus' commands were to go and preach the good news and to go and make disciples. And, and so often we can have the mentality that evangelism and fishing is kind of like a, you know, you just, we sit and we wait till some, someone's just so desperate to find out about God they just throw themselves in our lap and they say, hey, do you have a hook? Would you stick a hook in me? Um, and we think somehow evangelism is supposed to be like that. But it really takes initiative. We need to initiate with people, uh, many of those people who we might not know and some of them that we might know. There's two types of evangelism you've probably heard of. One is called friendship evangelism with people that you see frequently, maybe their family, and there's a kind of a way of doing friendship evangelism that's, that's a little maybe slower paced because you know I'm going to see this person again, hopefully, and things like that. Another type of evangelism is called initiative evangelism. It's with people who you don't really know and you don't probably see all that often or you may never see again. And so we're really called to go and do evangelism with both types of people and we just have to watch out for sometimes those that are really, yeah, I'm all about friendship evangelism. Two dangers with that are... Sometimes we can feel like, I just don't have a good enough friendship to share with this person yet. 
And then the other danger that happens, eventually we do get a friendship that's good enough to share them and we think, I don't want to jeopardize this friendship I've taken so long to build. And we can really err in not sharing the gospel. The initiative evangelism can, can have an error in it as well. You go, I'm sharing the gospel with everyone. I don't know who you are. I don't care who you are. I'm just going to share, you know. And we have to watch out that we really do. That would be an error to only do that and not have a heart motivated by love. And it would be an error to only do friendship evangelism. Because if you look at the New Testament, the vast majority of how it played out in the New Testament was people sharing with people they did not know or they knew for a very little period of time. So we want to make sure we're doing both and we're not judging one camp or the other. I think we, we have to be <clears throat> doing both as we go. Some people will say, um, you know, there's a verse in, in 1 Peter chapter 3 that talks about, um, you know, be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you for the reason, uh, to give the reason for the hope that you have. And some people say, that's my evangelism verse right there. Be prepared to give an answer in defense. And, you know, I go, that's a valid verse, that's a great verse, but... With evangelism, it's probably a lot like sports out there nowadays. You know, most sports have kind of the offense and the defense, right? And that verse is kind of saying, hey, look, if someone's asking you about the hope that you have, be ready. Be ready to give them an answer. But the offense is when Jesus has said, now go, go get him, move this thing forward, take this ball across that line or something like that. But there's, a, there's an offense and a defense. We want to make sure we're, we're doing both. But it's a lot easier to drop the offense when it comes to evangelism and just be ready for defense and just waiting for that one person to ask me about the hope I have. And, and we'll talk a tad more about that in another point. But anyway, so it takes initiative. We must go. Next point here I'm going to talk about is um, you know fishing takes perseverance so so be patient you've got to be patient when it comes to fishing there's a couple verses related to that I love uh, several different times uh, Jesus was talking to the disciples and they were fishing in a boat and they had their nets and, and Jesus said how's it going you know and they said you know master we've been fishing hard all night and we haven't even caught a minnow it's the message bible here I don't remember the minnow part before, but um, um, but if you say so, we'll let out the nets again. And so they did, and then what happened? They had this huge catch. And another time Jesus said, how's the fish? And they're like, oh, we've been doing it all night and gotten nothing. Um, and we just have to remember that fishing takes patience. I, I think about, again, if you've ever learned to fish for real, I remember my dad just teaching us, and my dad is an extremely patient man, and makes for a good fisherman, and it makes for a good teacher of people that get distracted easily when they're trying to learn how to fish, you know. I was talking to him recently about our fishing endeavors, and he said, you know, uh, if you want to learn patience, try to teach your grandkids how to fish. He's like, that that will teach you patience, you know. And I don't know if you're like me, I, I would, I don't mind learning lessons about patience as long as they can be fast, you know. I just want to learn, learn those things fast and we'll be good here. But, um, you know, just think about how... Uh, you know, we need to be patient. And if you're trying to fish for men and women and, and catch their hearts with the gospel, if you're not patient with them, you'll probably give up on them easily. And you probably, you know, if someone asks, how's the fishing going? My guess would be if you're not patient, it's probably not going that well. Because you've got to be patient to, to win someone to Christ and teach them to follow Christ. And so we also have to remember that the Lord has been patient with us. And I don't know how, uh, how long it took you before you became a Christian, but for me, you know, I was 24, working on 25 years, and boy, the Lord sure could have brought me home uh, a lot sooner than that and just said, man, I'm done with this guy. He is not getting it. But he was very patient, you know, and it was placed in Second Peter 3 where it says, um, you know, bear in mind that the Lord's patience means salvation. People are going to get saved because He's being patient in His return. The moment He returns, 
there is no more chance to turn to him with eyes of faith and it will all be over and sealed for eternity. And so we have to remember, he's, he's patient. We've got to be patient if we're trying to fish with Jesus here. So next one we're going to look at, um, let's see. Effective fishing requires effective bait. Isn't that right? Um, I think about uh, what's, the purpose of, what's the purpose of bait, you know? Bait is designed to attract something to it. It's designed to be something that another creature, you know, in the case of fishing, they have a taste for. We fish with things like, uh, what, salmon eggs or power bait, the secret bait of all baits, you know, um, worms or sometimes we use lures. I think of my dad when it comes to fishing. He has this one lure that it's got to be like magical or something. I don't know what it is. It's called, a, if you've done any fishing for bass, he uses it for trout on lakes and stuff, but it's a lure called a, a MEPS number two. MEPS number two is this little gold spinny thing with a little red tail on it. It's got a little feather in it. But he can catch a fish no matter what the body of water is. I mean, he can catch a fish on that lure. And um, it's, I don't know why or how it works. It's a, it's a mystery to me. Um, he uses other things, you know, and he's using salmon eggs or, or worms and stuff as well. But, you know, when it comes to fishing for the souls of men, and when we have to have, we have to have effective bait. And, um, couple things we can think about related to that. Uh, we have this verse here. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Um, I think of another place in Romans 13, 14. It says, um, But put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Have nothing to do with the flesh. One has baits when it's related to sharing the gospel. We need to put on uh, something that attracts people to ourselves and to our Savior. And we need to put on Christ to do that. We need to have an attractive life. Dennis mentioned it, I think it was last week, when he talked about you need to have a changed life. If you want to reach others, they, they need to see something in you that's different, that's different than everything else around them. Um, and so part of that bait, putting on Christ, is, is a changed life, is maybe doing things differently than the rest of the world or, or doing them differently than you used to do them. And we need to... Um, Part of that, the effect of day, Dennis talked about the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit works in the lives of others. And we need to be having the Spirit lead us and praying that the Spirit would work on others. I think as it relates to prayer, um, James 5.16 says, the, uh, the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. If you want to be an effective fisherman or woman, how, how is your prayer life going? Are you praying for people, for God to come into the world, to get their attention, um, to give you opportunities? Because... The, the scriptures are very clear that has great effect in, in this world. And so um, another thing we try to use with, um, for bait is obviously the gospel. We need to use the gospel to catch people's hearts. And really, this next tip, we're going to look at that a little more here as well. Um, well point six here, let's see. Um, to make disciples, we must hook the hearts of men and women. We must catch their hearts. Sometimes we can get the gospel out and just try to throw it out there real quick so we can feel good about saying that I shared or check off my, you know, something, uh, some list I have to do to share the gospel and feel good about myself. Well, I, I think of it sometimes like fishing. If you've ever gone fishing before, um, have you ever tried, maybe when you were a kid, maybe when you are an adult, you might not want to admit it, but you ever get frustrated with fishing, it's not happening real well, but you see them along the shore. And you're just going, I know I could get that fish. I know I could hook that fish. And sometimes you, we turn to hook, uh, snagging fishes, fish. Have you guys ever snagged fish before? That's a, 
a different approach and sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't and I remember my brothers I was just talking to them last week and they were telling me stories about how they had these big old hooks and they would go to these places that had sucker fish all over the place you've seen sucker fish or nasty fish but they wanted to catch something and so they would take these big hooks to where the sucker fish were and throw them out there and just yank on it and you're bound to catch something you know and you know, that, that's fun, and you could say you caught something. But when it comes to evangelism, I think sometimes we're kind of like that. You know, we could be, if we get to the point where we actually share the gospel or share our faith, we could just try to, you know, hook and snag somebody any which way we can. You know, it's like catching a fish by the, if you've ever caught one by the top fin or by somewhere strange where you go, I don't know how the hook got here, um, but you're reeling them in and you're going, wow, that's, that's kind of wild. But when it comes to fishing for the souls of men and women, we really have to hook the heart. If we're not aiming to hook the heart, you know we're pulling someone in, kicking and screaming, dragging them by their tail or something like that. It doesn't usually play out well as far as making disciples and things like that. So we really need to, to aim for hooking the heart. And um, just a couple thoughts on that. Um, you know, and, and way, the way we hook their heart is through the gospel message and, and sharing with them God's love, um, God's forgiveness, everything that's available to him. But I do think when it comes to being more effective with the gospel, I had a, this week I went to a meeting with some pastors and leaders in our region of churches that similar size to ours and stuff like that. And one of the things we did while we were there was just spend some time getting renewed in, in the big picture that we're a part of. It's so easy to forget. Sometimes we can think the gospel is just reading their facts, reading the riot acts, hope the Holy Spirit's working and they fall down and pray and you know um, that's sometimes what I, I think we're hoping for but I think it's just good to be reminded of the, the gospel message is really a part of a grander love story and the gospel part of it is really almost like this rescue mission that's a part of this eternal love story with God and it's just good to be renewed and reminded about that um, we watched a video series. If you get a chance to watch it, there's one that um, John Elders has put out. It's called Epic. And he's the guy that put out Wild at Heart and things like that. And uh, we watched this together as pastors and leaders. And we put the video on. And uh, if any of you ever followed Wild at Heart or some of his other books, you know, this one, I'd never seen what John Eldridge looked like before, but this one is very much more, he draws out the dramatic, he's like this drama guy with some long hair, he's got the stage set, it's got, when he does different things, it has these sound effects, you know, he gets a sword out, and you hear the, you know, and the sound of the metal on it, and we were joking, some of the things weren't synchronized that well, he like put his sword in the scabbard, and a little bit later you hear, you know, like that, and so we were, we, we were having fun with all the sound effects, but one of the guys, the first night when he saw him, he said, I was a little disappointed. I, I didn't know what John Elders looked like, but he, he looked different than I thought, you know. And if you see the video, you, you'll see. I don't know what you expect, like a mighty Braveheart-looking guy or something like that. But uh, he, it was fun to watch this series. But he did an amazing job of communicating the Christian worldview uh, in light of the, the great story, the story of God's eternal love affair with us and you know he just reminded us of some things and I want to encourage you as you're reading your Bible and even as you're just thinking through things to remember that this gospel story about Jesus you know God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life 
But to look in the gospel in light of the bigger picture. I know for Easter, um, if you've got a chance, I've been chewing on um, some of these ideas of framing the bigger picture. Last Easter we talked about five eternal truths from the gospel story. And and one of those is that this gospel story, the beginning is, um, you know, the very first thing was God. In the beginning, God created. He created the heavens and the earth and He created life as we know and things like that. But... You know, in the beginning, God had already existed. Scriptures say He existed from eternity past. At some point, He created everything that we know and that we live in. And so there was this, there's an eternal beginning. And then we have life on earth here. And we have, um, you know, the truth that God created things perfectly. He created us perfectly for relationship with Him. And, and yet we have sinned. Sin has broken this world. It's broken. It's severed our relationship with God. And it's, our sin personally has earned His eternal punishment because he is an eternal being and so but then it enters Jesus Christ and God's rescue plan and, and Jesus came and I was just reading a verse in the one year Bible yesterday that, that talks about this at the end of Romans it said God is able to make you strong just as the good news says it is the message about Jesus Christ and his plan for you Gentiles you, you non-Jews you know um, a plan kept secret from the beginning of time but now as the prophets foretold and as the eternal God has commanded this message has been made known to all Gentiles everywhere so that they might believe and obey Christ and God had a plan to, to come into this world and, and to enter this creation this stage if you will and and, and he lived, Jesus lived the perfect life you know and, and yet he was punished the death of a sinner not only of, of a sinner of all sin combined and he he was punished as a substitution for us. And then, kind of act four is that he, he not only did he die, did he take our sin upon him, but he rose from the dead. He rose from the grave to prove he had the authority to be a substitute. To prove he has the authority to forgive us sins and give us eternal life. And then the last truth we talked about in the five eternal truths is that he's coming back again. He's coming back soon to bring life on earth to a close and to continue in the bigger part of the story here. And Scriptures are just filled with things that point to that direction. I love how at one point Peter's preaching the gospel and he tells the, tells the people, Hey, by the way, when Jesus was here, you killed the author of life. The one who brought life and created everything. The one who's writing a story about each one of us. You killed the author of life. But God raised him to the dead. I say, raised him from the dead. Um, think about Revelation, how it talks about those who will have eternal life are those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. There's a book, there's a story that's eternal. We see little fragments that God knit us together in our mother's womb, Psalm 139, that, that He knows the days appointed for us before we even came into existence. God has a story for your life and for mine. With the day you will be born, the day you might get married, the day you might leave this earth and, and be with Him. And, and there's so many glimpses of that here and there. We need to catch it and realize the gospel is a part of a bigger story. You know, Shakespeare caught this a little bit. Um, he has the, the famous quote that, oh, I don't know if I wrote it down or not, but it's, uh, uh, what is it? All of life is but a stage, and men and women are merely players on that stage, and each has their exits and entrances. And if you think about life on earth as this stage, and people are coming and going, you know, I think he caught a glimpse of that, but the reality is they're coming and going from the stage on earth, and they're coming from their creator and they're going to return the Bible says to our creator to God and, and we have this time here on earth this stage and um, you know it's just 
We've got to, sometimes we think the stage is about us. Life on earth is about us. You know, there was a, I love this quote from a historian. It's H.G. Wells. And he just said, I'm a historian and not a Christian. But Jesus is arguably the central figure in all of history. You know, the stage is set for Jesus. And all the things leading up to his, his birth, the prophets foretold of it. And then he, he came, he lived, and he died, and he rose from the grave. And then everything since then has been about, about his return. And he's the central figure in all of history. And, and life here on earth is really his stage. But sometimes we get caught up thinking it's about us. Uh, about what we want to do or we fall in love with the props on this earthly stage we fall in love with ourselves or other things when really there is an eternal love story that we're supposed to be responding to or an eternal creator who we've violated and, and we have to understand the story in light of that and for me recently this was brought home we, we've, we're renewed in a lot of this truth this last week up uh, with this little pastor's meeting but some of it was brought home in a real more personal way when um, you know my my stepmom, Terry, who my dad married uh, a while back, um, she found out probably a year to six months ago that she had cancer. And so um, they thought it was different things, heart things. Eventually they found out she had lung cancer about six months ago. And then a few months uh, after that, they actually had to remove one of her lungs to, uh, because the cancer had spread there. And um, she was going through, then they found tumors in her brain. And so she's done doing chemotherapy and radiation and operating with just one lung and just here recently she, she came down with pneumonia and uh, she was uh, checked into a hospital last Sunday and several days later here this past Thursday morning she passed away and she was a believer and she was thinking about these things and she knew that her times were in the Lord's hands and she knew that she would be returning to be with the Lord and so as sad and hard as it's been um, there was a real peace there and and I think it's because she understood the bigger story. But to me, I got a real clear glimpse of our life here on this stage is short. Um, and the days are numbered. And then we'll return to be with the Lord if we've, if we've looked to Jesus Christ as our Savior to, to save us from the sin that we've done in this creation in God's world, sinning against breaking His eternal laws, you know. And so, um, but as, you know, as I've been thinking about that, I've just been trying to converse with my dad and he seems to know these truths and, and be encouraged by them and um, came across as we were listening to these DVDs on um, on this subject of the bigger picture and the great story um, John Eldridge read from the end of the Narnia Chronicles series and I, I just was reminded I had read those years ago but I was reminded how much C.S. Lewis had a glimpse of life here on earth and how it relates to eternity, how he expressed that through these books. But the last few paragraphs of, of the last battle of the Narnia Chronicles, he, he says this, um, Then Aslan turned to them and said, You do not yet look so happy as I mean you to be. Lucy said, We're so afraid of being sent away, Aslan, as you have sent us, as you have sent us back into our own world so often. No fear of that, said Aslan. Have you not guessed? Their hearts leapt, and a wild hope rose within them. There was a real railway accident, Aslan said softly. Your father and mother and all of you are, as you used to call it in the Shadowlands, dead. The term is over. The holidays have begun. The dream has ended, and this is the morning. And as he spake, he no longer looked to them like a lion, 
The things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them. And for us, this is the end of all the stories. And we can most truly say that they lived. They all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last, they were beginning chapter 1 of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. I was just thinking about Terry and how, uh, how the term is over. The holidays have begun for her. The dream is ended. This is the morning and she's in an existence that if she could communicate to us how the great story continues, how the real story really is. I, I think that's why sometimes people say, no, I, I don't want to come back here. It's so beautiful. There's something so much beyond this. And I just hope that we, we catch that. Man. We're, we're a part of an eternal story. It's a story of eternal life. And it's so easy to get caught up in the here and now and life on the stage of planet Earth. Get Fall in love with the props that are so temporary all around us. Fall in love with our own role, our own character, our own bodies, our own lives. And there's so much more out there that we need to be aware of. And in order to hook the hearts of other men and women with the gospel, we have to make sure our hearts have been hooked with the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ and how he offers eternal life as a gift. You know, Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death. There's a death sentence that we earn when we sin against our eternal creator in, in this life. And yet the gift of God is eternal life. The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And God has offered us a gift and it's a free gift and it connects us with eternal life. My hope is that each one of us will, will be hooked with the gospel of Jesus Christ, with our Savior and not caught up in the things of this world. We've got, we've got a lot of work to do. We've got a lot of fishing to do. And I hope you're, you're on board with this. I'm just going to close with some practicals on this last point here. The last point we have here is um, a few verses we'll read first. If the axe is dull and its edge unsharpened, more strength is needed, but skill will bring success. He who wins souls is wise. In order to be more effective at fishing, we need to develop blank fishing skills. What's the blank here? We need to develop mad fishing skills. No, that's not it. We need to develop wise fishing skills. I thought you could put in, you know, develop mad fishing skills, crazy fishing skills. No, we need to develop wise fishing skills. I think about, again, back to when we fish sometimes, if you've ever had that experience, sometimes people just like to go fishing and without thinking about it, they start throwing rocks. You know, oh, there's a big rock. You know, watch this splash. Kaboom, you know. And fish are scared for miles and miles around across the shore, you know. And, but it, it, you know, and people might think, well, then I'm going to cast my line and we'll see how it goes. Um, sometimes people do. You know, if you've ever fished with kids, once you... Get them to stop throwing rocks when you're trying to catch fish. Another phase, I think it's a natural phase, is they stick with their pole. But what do they try to do with their fishing pole? You try to swat a fish, right? Or stab it. You know, you go spear fishing with a fishing pole. Or you swat at the water and try to get these fish, you know. And does that work? Not very well, you know. Um, but sometimes when it comes to evangelism, as silly as those pictures are, we're kind of like that with evangelism. And we can do things that, whether you know it or not, we, we're scaring people off just by our approach, you know. Whether we're just so in someone's face, we're so like, I'm going to share this, and, you know, there's no sign of love or sign of life or no building rapport 
or you know, or, or we're so scared we can't make eye contact with someone. We want to share this good news of eternal life with them, and we just can't. And, and then Jesus died for you, and uh, you know, it's like we're so embarrassed. But um, we need to have some skills developed as we go here. You know, just like throwing rocks and slashing doesn't really work. A few skills here we can cultivate. One of them is this: when it comes to wise fishing skills, and I want to encourage you. You know, work to remember people's names. You know, that seems so basic, especially in friendship evangelism. You go, okay, I can remember my family members' names, I think, um, or some of my coworkers. But when you're fishing, maybe with someone you've just met. You got to work to remember their names. So many books on friendships and relationships say one of the number one things is, is to remember a person's name. And you got to do whatever it takes. If you say, "Boy, I'm just not good at that," well, guess what? How's the fishing going? Are you reaching people? I don't remember your name, but Jesus died for you. He knows your name. But um, boy, I sure love you too. What's your name again? Um, we need to be people that are catching names. And if you're natural at that, great. If you're not, you've got to work at it. Uh, I, I kind of go back and forth. Um, I, I work at it, and sometimes I can remember a person's names. You know, you use whatever it is, repetition sometimes. Uh, for me, I can remember. Sometimes I have to ask the person like three times. I'm like, what was your name again? And what was your name again? And eventually I'm like, okay, I don't want to ask the fourth time, so now I know it. You know, um, or, or you do a name game. You know, you think your name reminds me of this, or this person looks like, oh yeah, that person reminds me of, they look a lot like Ned. So I'm thinking, that's Jack Ned uh, right there. So, you know, you, you do some naming games, whatever it is. I tell people sometimes, oh, my name is Rich. I'm rich, but not wealthy, you know, and I hope that that makes them remember my name. But we've got to work at it. Um, another thing we have to do is work to find common ground with people. When you're fishing, whether you know them or, or this has a lot to do with those you're maybe just meeting in your, in your office or at, uh, for coffee, you know, when you're out doing groceries or at getting coffee or something like that. There's some, um, I love this verse here. It's from uh, 1 Corinthians and uh, chapter, chapter 9 and verse 19. There's just something to think about when you're, when you're trying to fish for men and women. This is a great thing to apply. Like the Apostle Paul was a great fisher of the souls of men and women. But he said this, 1 Corinthians 9:19. Even though I am a free man with no master, I have become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ. When I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew to bring the Jews to Christ. When I was with those who followed the Jewish law, I lived under that. I too lived under that law. Even though I'm not subject to the law, I did this so I could bring to Christ those who are under the law. When I'm with Gentiles who do not follow the Jewish law, I too live apart from the law, so I can bring them to Christ. But I do not ignore the law of God, I obey the law of Christ. And with, when I'm with those who are weak, I share their weaknesses, for I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessings. I just encourage you, one of the things we've got to do to be wise fishermen is, is find common ground with people. Um, I think once you get a hang, the hang of that, it becomes fun. It becomes kind of interesting. You go, what, what can I find out about this person? I, I, there was a guy I met this week, and I think I'd met him before. I don't remember all the details. I knew his name. Um, but I started talking to him. He's from Farmington, New Mexico. And I go, okay, who all do I know from Farmington? Well, I know the things. And then I, I figured out, okay, where, when did you graduate from high school? And he told me, you know, sometime, I think it was the early 80s or something like that. And so I was like, okay. And then I said, well, I knew, a, I knew of a guy that came from Farmington. He played basketball for the UNM Lobos back in the days. Rob Robin was his name. And he said, oh, yeah, yeah, I knew Rob Robbins. And, and then I said, well, I went to a high school championship game once where Farmington was 
was playing someone else and I watched the game that was Rob Robbins and I said, I remember this other like seven foot guy on the same team as Rob Robbins. And the guy was like, no way. That was my best friend growing up. And I was like, oh, okay. And then I kept fishing and I found another connection that he actually knew a guy, one of my professors in college that had a son that had gone to church, a great commission church back in the, I was in the 70s, early 80s, that he had actually been in the same church with this guy. And there, afterwards, we're like, me and him, we had a bond. You know, we were like brothers. We were a band of brothers and I just barely met him last week, you know. But when you, um, when you find common ground... It speaks to someone that, that you think they're important enough to, to fish for common ground. And then when you see them the next time, they'll be like, oh yeah, this guy knows more about me than last time. I remember a kid uh, back in the days when we were reaching out of Colorado State, there was this guy named Dove. And Dove was from Alamosa. And so then I tried to pull to my brain, what all do I know about Alamosa? Not much, don't go there, things like that, you know. Um, but, you know, I, I had been through there before, and my dad and mom and then had spent some time in Alamosa. They spent time down in Creed, Colorado. She always had to go to Alamosa to go to Walmart. But they told me things about Alamosa and the gator farm, and they told me about the, uh, the tiger thing there. I don't know if you hear they raise white tigers in Alamosa. And I was telling Doug, yeah, you know about this? He's like, yeah, I know about that. And I said, what about the tiger farm? You know about that? He's like... I live across the street from the tiger farm. I was like, whoa. And I continued to reach out to him. And Dove heard the gospel. And he received Christ into his life. And he's following Christ today. But Dove goes back to that time. He says, I remember when you really tried to find common ground with me. And it really has stuck with me ever since. And, and I just want to encourage you to be men and women who are looking for common ground so that you can communicate the gospel after you, you find some points of uh, you know common interest, common overlap, whatever it is there. But use that for the sake of sharing the gospel. And then the last thing we're going to show out here, share here, so that's fish to find common ground under wise fishing skills here. Last one is just use good, use good fishing lines. Use tried and true fishing lines. On the back side of your handout here is just a few lines that you can use. Maybe encourage you to try them out this week um, when you're out and about or when, if you end up at the Firehouse 5K this weekend. Here's a few great lines to try out for fishing, you know, and um, I'm just going to share a couple of them real quickly. We'll fly through them and we'll be on our way. But first one is just a real simple thing. Friends, coworkers, students, peers, things like that. So you can just throw out there, hey, is there anything I can pray for you? You know, I, I'm, maybe it's your, you have a prayer list at work in your calendar or something like that. But you say, hey, is there anything I can pray for you? Or you can let them know, hey, I am praying for you. Just let them know you're connected with the bigger picture there with the eternal um, sometimes you, uh, this question is a slam dunk if you're new with us and I've met you I will probably ask you this question but do you have any sort of church background it's real safe real easy question do you have any sort of church background if they say no to that then you can also ask it. Well, do you have any sort of spiritual background spiritual beliefs but you can just kind of get the conversation going in that direction Occasionally you can throw in a who, who is Jesus to you. Maybe they have a spiritual background, um, but you know, it's not Christian. And so then you try to figure out, well, who, who's Jesus in your story, in your world there? Uh, do you believe in heaven and hell? This is a great question I've just gotten to use more recently. I know other churches use this, but do you feel near or far from God? And then just kind of ask, you know, I asked someone this recently, and they're like, oh, I feel kind of in between. And so I was like, well, what do you mean by that? And well, you know, and, and it just went from there. Um, have you ever thought about what happens to you when you die? 
And, and if so, you know, what have you thought? Trying to figure out, well, what does someone think? What if, everyone kind of has their own story of how we got here and why we're here and where we're going. But you can kind of draw out their story and eventually connect them to, to the bigger story. We've got an eternal story that's been, inval- it's been validated in ways that no other story on this planet has through prophecy and the resurrection and through uh, things written on our heart. Eternity has been written on our heart. And we, we've got the real story. And so we need to kind of draw out stories others are believing and help them to see the big picture with the, hope of the, whole, with the help of the Holy Spirit, their conscience, other things here. Um, these two questions here, sometimes I ask God, you know, I wish I could find the latest, greatest, coolest tool. We're in a post-modern era and post-Christian, post-family, post-everything. And we've got to leave the old tools behind. And recently here, I feel like God just reminded me, it's great to try to find new tools, but you need to use the tools I've given you until I give you another tool to use. And a tool that God's given me, it's like my MEPS number two lure, is these next two questions here, the diagnostic questions. Some of you might know them as questions seven and eight here, but it's... And you have to figure out how to work this in the conversation here. Like most people say when they throw the gospel, there's going to be awkwardness one way or another. If you're cool with that, you know, they'll deal with it. And, and you've you got to break the ice somehow to get into some of these more serious questions. I sent an email to a friend recently and I just said, Hey, maybe you've thought about these things before, but how sure are you if you die tonight you'd go to heaven? And you say on a percentage scale, zero to a hundred. And, and they throw out the percentage, 50% or 80%. Um, but with that you can really kind of get people headed towards the gospel as a follow-up release. The second question is, what would you say if God asked you, why should I let you into my heaven? Kind of hear what they're thinking will will get them credit before God, what they're leaning on. And then, um, you know, the the follow-up question of those diagnostic questions will give you a real good picture. Is this person trusting Jesus Christ or not? Are they looking to Jesus as their Savior? Are they a true Christian or not? And, And so that's... But time and time again, those two questions have helped me see like where somebody's at, what they might be leaning on, or maybe they're a Christian and they're just really, really unsure that that they are. You know, they need an increase in their in their confidence about the truth from the Bible and you know these eternal truths. But anyways, um, you can use those questions. And a great follow-up question is is if there's a way to know for sure you're going to heaven, or if there's a way to know for sure that you have eternal life, would you want to know about it? Would you want to hear about it? From there, you can you know talk to them about a booklet. You know, we're gonna the next couple of weeks we're gonna look at things from sharing a booklet on the gospel to Brad. Next week's gonna talk about just sharing your own story, um, some ways to to have a story and ways to share that. We're gonna talk about things like maybe we'll do a PowerPoint uh, presentation on the diagram or five eternal truths here. But um, those transition into ways that you can set up sharing the gospel. And I know some of these you might go, man, that's so old school or the diagram. I've been there and done that. Um, but that outreach diagram and the bridge diagram, I don't know what your experience of fishing for the souls of men has been, but I have seen the Lord lead num- a number, dozens and dozens of people to Himself through sharing that diagram. More recently, even using the PowerPoint presentation of the diagram. If you're like, if you haven't been through the hours of training for that class, on our website, under Essentials, under Good News, and at the bottom of the page, hard to find but there's a diagram presentation that all you have to do is just click buttons and it will show you the verses that, that share the full story and the good news of eternal life and so but I encourage you to use some of these questions the last one there you know if you're wrong about what you believe about eternity would, would you want to know and you know you can dialogue with that sometimes people say I don't want to know because then I complete ignorance if I don't know 
I just think it's great to remind people that God will hold people accountable not only for what they do know, but for what they could have known and chose not to. And we need to remind them about about that eternity is is the wrong thing to be wrong about. But I hope you can use some of these tips and, and these tools here to just step out and do some fishing. If you want help in fishing and, and getting with someone who has more experience, talk to a small group leader, talk to one of us as pastors. We'd love to help get you training so we can all be more effective at fishing here. So let's go ahead and pray and we'll call it a morning. Well, Lord Jesus, we do just, uh, we just thank you for this day again. We thank you that um, for those of us who look to you as our Lord and our Savior, we have eternal life. We have been connected to the big story that will go on forever in your presence, restoring the glorious relationship you had designed for us from the beginning. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to catch a sense of the urgency of, of making sure everyone has heard the good news about how they can be restored in their relationship, how they don't need to spend eternity separated from you and punished um, for, for their sins. Lord, I just pray you'd help us to, to grow as men and women who have a heart to fish, grow as men and women who are effective at reaching people with the gospel and making disciples. Lord, we need your grace in this. We need you to teach us. We thank you that you are with us with us always and we just ask that you would lead us in this and help us to reach many more people and and impact eternity we just pray in Jesus name Amen Amen thanks for coming this morning you guys and we'll see you next week